This is a podcast for the creative misfits, the right brain, rogue, or rebellious creatives who don't want to do work and life the way we've been told we have to. It's for anyone who has felt a sense of dissatisfaction with their career or with corporate BS. It's for anyone who has struggled and wanted to find greater purpose, to experience more authenticity, creativity, freedom, and satisfaction in how they live and work. Let's build a new way of doing things. Welcome to episode nine of the Creative Misfits Club podcast. I'm Jessica. This week is called The Rebel Dozen, 12 Things to Opt Out Of. So last week I talked about how I really don't want to participate in hustle culture. I'm just not that into deriving value from struggle. And I don't really think it's a good currency to deal in. But the truth is, it's actually a very rebellious thing to opt out of. And I think that not going along with any number of things in our current culture, whether our work culture, our corporate culture, or just the ways in which we're still expected to be, that could be how we live and work, but also honestly, it could be how we educate, how we eat, how we look, how we sound, how we relate and connect, how we heal, how we approach our health, any number of these things. Not simply skating along with the status quo is actually, I think, quite an act of rebellion. I think it takes tremendous courage and spine and fortitude and honestly, a tolerance for discomfort. But I really think this is the way we shift paradigms into a paradigm where work and life are more supportive of well-being and happiness, or maybe I should say holistic happiness doesn't necessarily have to be surface happiness, like everything's fabulous every day, but deeper kind of happiness. I think it takes enough individuals who are bravely or maybe stubbornly saying, I don't like this way we're doing things. I want a better way. And I'm willing to rebel in any number of ways that are actually quite difficult and even painful, I think, at times. So I just want to acknowledge that. Maybe it's to myself. or to any of you listening who resonate with this, just how tough it can be to actually opt out of these existing ways of being. It's really tough. It is much, much easier, even if you don't particularly like the way things are done, or even if you see issues or problems, it's still easier to just kind of go along with things. So for all of you, all of us out there, who in any number of ways are choosing not to do that, who are choosing to forge a different path, I see you. So I was speaking with a friend recently who was offering some insights into some of my own professional struggles, and he said some interesting things to me. He said, basically, I couldn't even try to counsel you into a kind of typical corporate job because actually I just really think you'd be miserable there. (laughs) Uh, The other thing he reflected was I'm very outspoken in my writing and in my online presence about all the ways that I quite dislike so much of the current work paradigm. And he said, yeah, you know, in some ways, maybe that does hurt you, quote unquote, right? Say with like a hiring manager. But It's you being you. And it is. It's me being authentic to me. 
And he said, I I actually think you should keep doing that. So here's the rebel conundrum. Do you play along with what you don't actually believe in or with what isn't aligned with your values in order to, let's say, stay safe in some way? Or maybe it's not safe, but maybe it's just accepted or chosen or hired, which to me at its core is essentially a question of dissociation or self-abandonment. It's like how much of yourself are you willing to suppress or ignore in order to be accepted into something? And the older I get, or maybe it's the more evolved I get, I'm not sure which, the more my answer is I am not willing to. It's too high a price to pay. So for me at this point, suppressing a key part of myself in order to, let's say, get hired or contorting myself into something that doesn't feel genuinely like me in order to get hired or bending my values in order to be chosen or accepted is not something I'm willing to do. And here's what that feels like to me. This is an analogy that, I don't know, might be surprising or maybe some people feel like it's a little disproportionate, but it actually feels like the same energy underneath that to me. And it's this, you would never ever counsel somebody who was dating, let's say they were looking for a partner, to not be themselves in order to get liked or to get chosen. I mean, there is an irony here, of course, which is that I actually think tons of people actually do this in more subtle ways when dating. We shift who we are in little ways in order to seem more palatable or to be more of what we think people will like, so they choose us. But that's a tale for another day. You would not counsel somebody that you cared about to really hide important parts of themselves in order to get somebody to date them. You just wouldn't do that. You would never counsel someone, for example, in their online dating profile to post a picture that was completely not accurate or representative of what they actually look like in order to get someone to like them. We would just never do that. (laughs) I mean, I do understand best foot forward and, you know, making an effort is is great instead of just showing up with your sweats and unshowered and uncombed hair and whatnot. I get that. But truly, would it ever be a good idea to essentially counsel someone to lie in order to get picked? I mean, no. (laughs) I feel like showing up as someone other than your authentic self in your work or in the work world, again, in order to get picked, feels pretty much the same underneath to me. And I guess that makes me a rebel. Some people might say that that is foolish or that I'm stubborn. They're entitled to their opinions. They're entitled to live their life in a way that feels good to them. It's just that I've learned that that kind of dissociation from true self or what feels like a self-abandonment eventually brings me back around to the same place. It's like a cul-de-sac. It's just a detour to come back to the same spot I'm at now, which is brutal but essential lessons and growth that I could face down now or I could waste a lot of time on a lot of cul-de-sacs and eventually end up back at the same place, reckoning with my same things. I mean, I really think all roads do lead back to core issues of authentic self-expression in a way. But man, some of us can spend epic amounts of time detouring on that. So the Dirty Dozen, or the Rebel Dozen, 12 things that I personally am choosing to opt out of. Number one, waking up with an alarm. 
So I know this is a radical thing. <laughs> I mean, Ariana Huffington does point out it is called an alarm for a reason. Your body does register it like an alarm. But for me, it's totally transformed my sleep <laughs> and my rest, waking up without an alarm. And that's, even though that is impractical, perhaps to a lot of potential lifestyles or schedules, I just believe in it so deeply and I've seen how much it shifts my quality of life that I'm really committed to that on an almost daily basis. Number two, showing up with a mask. So I think, you know, people think of this in like really overt ways that feel really disingenuous or almost like people are kind of lying or on purpose being someone else. But the truth is, is that we all do this pretty often in more subtle ways. We're showing up as kind of posturing in some way as who we think will be appropriate or palatable in the situation or in the environment. And I had a therapist several years ago point this out to me. And she said, she said, Jessica, you know, you're actually really candid. You're really honest and vulnerable. But I can see this. I think she used the word veil. This kind of veil that's up some of the time. And for me personally, that veil is rooted in a kind of poise. And she's like, when that veil comes down and I see the really true, genuine Jessica, she said this to me, and I'll never forget these words. She said, she is an absolute fucking delight. <laughs> and that really struck me because I knew exactly what she was talking about. I knew the veil that's very subtle. It's not like I'm being completely false or a completely different person, but I knew the, these veils that she was talking about. And I just started observing myself when I felt like the veil was up and when it was down. And that has shifted a lot for me in terms of feeling like I can show up in any situation, in any environment, and not have those veils up, even unconsciously, right? Because a lot of them are unconscious for us. So I'm opting out of wearing masks or veils, even subtle ones, in my life. Number three, clocking time to demonstrate productivity or the required 40-hour work week. I spoke about this in a prior episode, about the 40-hour, my dislike of the 40-hour work week. It's just this thing of clocking people's time in order to sort of make sure that they're working right or they're working enough or you're getting your money's worth out of them. It honestly feels so juvenile to me at this point. <laughs> it feels so kindergarten. It feels really micromanagey. I mean, I think we should want people who are so engaged that we don't need to do that. And I think we should give people the autonomy to work in a way that works for them. Number four is rushing. I just do not want to rush anymore. I, I felt like my prior life as a teacher, I was rushing all the time. I was always in deficit and I was always behind and I was always rushing. And I think it was Peta Kelly who once wrote something so brilliant. She said something like, rushing is violence to the nervous system. Number five, doing things I dislike doing. I know, another one that's just so foreign to our paradigm. And I, I'm not there. None of us is really there. I get it. I mean, I still do dishes every night. I don't really like doing dishes. But in general, if my life or my work means showing up every day and doing things that I dislike doing, I think something is wrong with that paradigm. Number six, suppressing joy and silliness. This is a big one because, I mean, how typical is it, especially in 
with our serious work hats on, that we are not supposed to be joyful in the midst of our days or silly. I just don't like that way of being. I mean, think about children before they learn to suppress that. And when they're super excited about something, how they sort of like bounce and jump down the street. I mean, I'm an advocate of dancing in the midst of our days just because we're feeling joyful. That's how I want to be. Number seven, ignoring the messages of my body. This is a big one for me, especially regarding rest. My body, if I'm really tuned in and listening to it, will tell me what I need. And a paradigm or a culture that is kind of actively telling me to not only disregard that, but go against that, is not a paradigm that I want to be in. Number eight, zero time in nature or in sunshine. Again, this is really typical for a lot of us. I mean, I used to work, I left parts of the year, I left in the dark, got home in the dark, worked in an interior room with no sunlight. I don't even know how I did that, to tell you the truth. I think it's very unnatural to our bodies and how we're meant to thrive. And I think we should cultivate a work paradigm and a work culture that supports us spending time in nature and time in the sun. Number nine, means to ends. And what I mean by that is doing things where the means are self-abandoning in some way or abandoning our values in some way or suffering in some way in order to get some end. I just don't really buy that way of living. Number 10, snarfing down microwave food for lunch, (laughs) which I used to do at work. I mean, this really could be part of rushing too. Like for me, it's this idea that we're rushing our meals or we're working while we're eating. I mean, I really think a fundamental principle of a good life is slowing eating down and eating with pleasure. I'm done with this 20 minutes to 30 minutes of lunch, snarfing down microwave food. Number 11, working in non-calm environments. I'm very susceptible, attuned to my environment, you know, and I used to work in a place where it was all fluorescent lights, which I don't do well in. I don't do well with a lot of noise. Even the aesthetics of the environment around me influence me a lot. And I really support us feeling like whatever the right environment for us is, it's going to be different for different people, but feeling like you can work in an environment that is calm, it's nurturing, it's supportive. And number 12 is urgency culture. Dr. Nicola Perra talks about this a lot, which is this culture that we've created where everyone is expected to sort of jump at everything and respond to everything. Every email, every text, every ding, every need, drop everything and run to respond to it. And again, that it just creates this kind of tension in the nervous system. And I personally want to work in a culture, in a paradigm that feels slower and calmer. There's this quote by George Carlin that says, most people work just hard enough to not get fired and get paid just enough money not to quit. And it is unfortunately soberingly true, I think. But I don't really think that's living well. I think that kind of a life is slavish. And if going against that grain requires rebellion, I think that's a noble path. If forging a career and a life that doesn't feel like that means making choices that don't get you chosen, 
I think I'm going to go with a rejection. Because at this point, nothing, really, really nothing could get me to abandon the person that I genuinely feel like I am. It's taken a lot of work to uncover her and come back to her. And I really like her. I like myself when I'm being her. And really the most important thing to me is that I choose her. And I have to trust that the people out there who are aligned with her will see her and like her and choose her too.